was trying to come up with some kind of uh, struggle, uh, an example of a, a never-ending struggle or a continuous struggle, uh, something that you just can't seem to win. And the first thing I thought of after this week with all the rain and, and the forecast for maybe a little bit more rain is uh, mowing in the spring. You know, whenever it's still dark out and you have to, you have to mow, but the ground's still wet, but it's going to rain again tomorrow, and it's, it gets dark at like 4.30 still, and, and uh, it's, just a, it's just a constant struggle. And, uh, you know, there are actually people who like to mow. Raise your hand if you like to mow. Yeah, we have counseling available. Uh, I, I enjoy mowing, too. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but I thought, okay, there, there is something, but that's not enough. That's not that hard. I mean, we still get it done. And so I, I thought about uh, if you swim in an ocean, uh, some people will be visiting oceans this summer, but a riptide. A uh, riptide. If you get caught in a riptide, you're, you're going to go out. You're not going to get back very easily. But do you know, does anybody know how to fight a riptide? You want to you want, you want say it? Here, I'll come. I'm not going to come down there. Yeah, you swim parallel and get out of it. And then, or swim at an angle. But if you if you think about it, most of the struggles we face, we want to get out as quick as possible. And so, like in a riptide, first thing you're going to try to do naturally, natural instinct would be to swim straight towards the shore, the shortest uh, distance from where you are back to the shore. Right? That's just natural. We're going to talk about that today a little bit. So last week we looked in uh, Romans chapters one through three, and we came across some different uh, truths. One, that we've all sinned, Romans chapter 2, uh, we don't judge. And then chapter 3, we get to this nice truth that if we accept the gift from Jesus, uh, through, from his grace, through our faith, then we'll be saved. We're not going to go through all of the, the readings, uh, but Paul moves how, he, he shares how it's impossible to be saved through the law, or uh, you, you just can't be good enough to save yourself. Then he keeps going, he gets, we get to Romans chapter 6. We learn about being united with Jesus. So it's starting to get good. He says that we're dead to sin. And in verse 14, he says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. The uh, first part of chapter 7, it says we are released from the law. This sounds very liberating. Chapter 8, the uh, first few verses, there is no condemnation. Okay, so up to this point... We've, we've got to understand that we're free, we've been saved, we're not under the, under the law anymore. I mean, it just seems like everything's gone. The guilt, the shame, I mean, we're new people. This is, this is wonderful. But right in the middle of all that, right in Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14, we're going to look at a passage today that I think is where we are right now. now I wish we weren't here right now, but I think when I read it, you're going to probably think the same thing I did. Yeah, this is me. I'd much rather be in Romans chapter 8, chapter 6, not here. Maybe these will be helpful, though. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. The first struggle that Paul faces is living up to his own expectations. I think the, do I need to do something? 
The other, this one? Okay. If you guys don't want me to talk, just say it. They're going to they're gonna mute this one here in a second when he gets tired of me. Do you ever feel like you're on a leash and you can only go so far? <laughs> All right, that's enough of the jokes. <laughs> no, it's not. Anyway, the first struggle Paul faced was living up to his own expectation. That's how we are. We have a standard for ourselves. I might put a standard on you and expect you to live a certain way, but I know every single one of us expects uh, our, our own self to live a certain way. And when you don't do that, you know it. You know where the bar is. Ask any child who does something wrong, why did you do that? What's, what's the first answer you're going to get? <laughs> you work with kids a lot. I don't know. Maybe uh, because. Because why? Just because. Right? We, we know that. Sorry, kids, uh, if, you, if you use these answers. They're just not good answers. But it's, it's natural. It's all of us. See, as adults, we do the same thing. You, you might not, someone might not ask you or call you out, but the same thing happens. Someone might say, uh, what were you thinking when you said that? And, and I might try to answer it or justify it, but truthfully in my mind, I don't know. I knew better, but I still said it. We, we make promises, I'll, I'll never do that again, or I'll always do that. And we don't always follow through. The, the reason that I thought these words are so comforting is because the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, someone who lived his whole life following God, said these words. said he's going through the same struggle that, that we are. Basically, he's saying many times I do things, and afterwards I don't understand why I did them. I think we're all there. It's like a, a civil war in his heart. There's, there's a constant battle. I don't know if they, they don't do that much anymore, but when I was younger, I remember on TV shows, whenever someone faced a, uh, a decision, a dilemma to do something right or wrong, they, they put these little, um, like a little devil on one shoulder and a little angel on the other, and it had their face on it. It was really creepy. And... Uh, and the devil would try to convince them to do wrong, and the angel would say, well, you know better, you should do it this way. But sometimes it feels like there's just the devil, and the angel's not even trying to help. That's our natural tendency. That's what Paul says, at least. We know better, we just can't help it. Basically, even as Christians, we're not as good as we think we are, and we don't want to admit how bad we actually are. That's where it starts. The first struggle is, is to be what you know you should be. He keeps going. Verse 18. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. He's coming to grips with this repeated failure in this personal struggle. It ha it's happening over and over again, and I don't have control over it. That's what he's saying. He says, verse 19, The evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Sin is real and active in our lives. I know we don't want to admit that. We want Romans 8, where there's no condemnation. It's life through the Spirit. Everything is perfect. Everything that my thoughts are held captive and I'm free. 
We don't want to live in chapter 7. But if we want to get to 8, even on some days, we're going to struggle with this the rest of our lives. But if we want to be there at times, then we have to admit where we are. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need doctors, but sick. It's not the ones that say, I'm actually doing pretty good. I got this all together. You might be able to say I'm doing pretty good, but you can't say you've got it all figured out. We just won't. We're all sick, and if we want God to help us, we have to admit our weaknesses and our failure. This is what we see in, uh, with Paul in the text here. So it's the struggle for repeated failure over and over again. And then he, and then he, comes, uh, or he keeps going, verse 21. So I find this law at work. Now, it's not, it's lowercase. I know uh, I, I get to see it here. It's law, not the Old Testament law, but this nature, this, this thing that keeps happening. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is, to, this is the struggle to admit that there's an actual war going on, and it's not going to stop. He's fighting this very hard. He says, although I want to do good, there's the intention. Don't we all? No one, no one wakes up and says, I just I want to disappoint my spouse today, or I want my kids to hate me. That's what I want. Yeah, we don't do that. No one does that. But something's fighting us. He says, everywhere I go, there's evil. It's always with me. Even when I want to do good, even when we actually do good, what was our motivation? What was our intention? Maybe it was good, but there might be something there. There might be just a hint of evil still trying to pull. Should I have done that? Was that really the most loving thing? It's a struggle, and, and we, we, can't, we can't ever know for sure, I think, if we've got it right or not. We might have the purest intention and the most loving action, and we think, did I do that for them or for me? It's always a struggle. And Paul is recognizing that this constant struggle pulls him away from God, just like the law was doing. We have battles. I, I might not see your battles, but I'm sure you're battling in some way today. You may not see my battles, but they're there. We all are fighting against temptation. We're all fighting sin. And it's a constant struggle for every one of us, maybe in different ways. There are struggles that some will, maybe you'll just have for a little while, and then life changes and the struggle's a little different. Or maybe there's some kind of a struggle, a temptation that you've, you've faced for the last 10 years and you're going to face for the next 30. We're all in the same struggles, or different struggles, but we're all in them. And so knowing this, knowing that no matter what happens, we're not going to be able to win every single battle. We're going to continue to face them. What do we do? Well, I'm, I'm not going to go to the other passages, but he says that we, we don't give in. We don't continue to sin. Not on purpose. We will sin, but we have to fight our very hardest. Jesus offered us this life of fulfillment. This is about now. We're all going to, if you are saved through, through grace, through your faith, your trust in Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you've confessed that Jesus is Savior and Lord, you will be saved. That's for eternity. But what about for tomorrow? What about for next week or in 10 years? And this struggle, sometimes it's overwhelming. 
Sometimes it feels like it's not even worth it. And so what do we do? We fight for this fulfilling life that we have been offered right now. I found a story about Andrew Jackson. It was during the War of 1812. General Andrew Jackson marched more than 2,000 volunteers from Nashville to New Orleans. With bravado, they fought the decisive Battle of New Orleans. They, the, the fighting took its toll on Jackson's troops, but sickness proved to be the deadliest and most dangerous enemy. 150 soldiers became gravely ill, 56 of whom could not even stand. Dr. Samuel Hogg asked the general what he wanted him to do. To do, sir, Jackson answered, you are to leave not a man on the ground. It wasn't official code of conduct yet, but Jackson embodied the military motto, leave no man behind. Andrew Jackson ordered his officers to give up their horses to those who were sick, and the general was the first to do so. Jackson marched 531 miles on foot. Somewhere between New Orleans and Nashville, he earned the nickname Old Hickory, same name which he would campaign for president 15 years later. But before winning the White House, the seventh president of the United States is alleged to have fought as many as 13 duels, which explains the 37 pistols in his gun collection. He says, I'm not advocating the, the reintroduction of dueling, but it does reveal something about Jackson's character. Old Hickory wasn't one to shrink from a fight, especially when honor was at stake. Now, I've, I'm going to finish the story in just a second, but I didn't read this because I think we should start dueling again. That, that would uh, not go well for m many of us. Um, but, uh, but Jackson finished this way. He said, I was born for the storm, and the calm does not suit me. When the sea is calm, anyone can captain the ship in that situation. But when a perfect storm threatens to capsize marriage, drown your dreams, you must play the man. A true man doesn't sit back. He steps up and steps in. He fights the good fight even when it seems like all is lost. Why? Because the true, true man is born for the storm. Why do we fight? Because every single one of us is facing a storm right now. We're all in a storm. You don't see the battles. We don't see each other's battles so much. I think in the church we probably should be sharing life a little bit more than we do. Because if, if you knew what the person next to you is going through and you faced that same thing five years ago or ten years ago, and it might be helpful to share. We're all in a storm. We have no idea what other people are going through. I mean, really. Sometimes we do. Some people share with me. So I, I might know a little bit more, but I'm going to venture to say that the 10 people closest to you, you don't know the storms they're going through, but most of them are going through something. It's a struggle. Now, the difference that we as Christians have is we fight not for victory, but we fight from victory. It's hard to explain this because you wouldn't fight in a war. You wouldn't fight a battle if the war is already over, if you knew the war was over. We know the war is over. We know that Satan's been defeated, but he has a reign over earth, and he's, he's causing us uh, to be tempted. He's leading us uh, in temptation, not from temptation. But he's leading us towards it, hoping that we would sin, not to separate us from Jesus, which could happen if we choose to not believe him anymore, but because he wants us to live in the storm. I don't know why he's so evil. I don't understand that. 
I don't know why he wouldn't want us to be happy, but that's how he is. He wants us to be miserable, and he wants us to be far from God, and he wants us to lose all hope. And so we have to fight these battles right now, not for eternity, but for today and for tomorrow and for the people next to us. We fight so, so that we don't carry this guilt. We fight because, because we, want to, um, we want to show that we trust God. If we believe that God knows best for us and we don't fight, then we're basically saying, I know better. Or I'm not, it's not worth it. God, I know you want me to live this way. I know you want me to be in this kind of a relationship, but I'm just going to do what makes me happy. And so we don't fight. And when we don't fight, a lot of people lose. And we all have motivations. I don't know what yours are. I think most of our motivations to fight are, are other people, relationships. Our first motivation should be to honor God. We talked about that last week. We don't want to offend God with our sin. Um, But I think it keeps going. I know that if I don't fight against certain temptations, I'll suffer. My wife would suffer. My kids might suffer. You might suffer. And you've you've got the same thing. We all have temptations that if we give in, someone will pay. And then to know that the pain, the pain that we've caused because we weren't willing to fight, because we didn't trust God. So what do we do? Because I, I read the scripture and then I told you how I think it plays out. But if it's going to happen anyway, then why fight so hard? Well, you have to decide, if, is it worth it or not? So how do we fight? Now remember I told you at the beginning the riptide. The, the easiest way to fight a riptide is not to go right back to the shore, but that's natural. So a natural way to fight against sin, against the temptation, would be to say, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to fight this as hard as I can, and I'm going to put my head down and focus. You're going to lose. You'll lose if that's the way you fight. We can't do it that way. Paul shows us how to fight. Verse 24, he said, What a wretched man I am. The first thing he did was confess who he was. He didn't say, I'm so good and I fought this so hard and I'm doing, I'm doing about 75% good here. And look how good I am. No, it doesn't work like that. So he's honest. Keep going, verse 20, or continue on to verse 24. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He recognized that he couldn't do it on his own. This is humility. Who will rec- rescue me? He knows that he can't win on his own. And then verse 25, I didn't read this at this point or so far for this reason. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Dependence. He is dependent on Jesus to save him. He knows that. But he he still goes on. I like this. Even whenever he comes to a point in in his faith that, He's a Christian here. There are, there are commentators that say this is someone who's not a Christian yet, or this is someone who's still immature in their faith. I don't believe that. Because even after he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord, he's acknowledged Jesus as his Savior. He says this, so then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. He, he, he knows what God wants. He wants to follow God. But... In my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Even though his mind is is focused on God and doing things right, he says he's still a slave to the the, the nature of sin. 
It's basically chapter 8 in one verse. We have an answer to our sin. His name is Jesus. We accept him for eternity, and then we fight for now. So I want to close with three passages. I'm just going just gonna to read through and not really add much to them because these are very helpful. The first thing from 1 Timothy 1, this is really what helped me to come to, the, um, to, the, to my conclusion. Um, could be wrong, but I don't think I am because I read 1 Timothy 1 and Paul is now passing on the faith. He has been serving God for a long time. He's been following Jesus for a long time. And he comes to a point where he's going to pass on the faith to Timothy. And he says this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He didn't say, of whom I was the worst when I used to struggle with these sins, or whenever I couldn't overcome temptation. He says, of whom I am the worst. It doesn't mean he's still giving in all the time, but it means the struggle's still there. The battle's still real. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The gospel is right there in the scripture. Christ Jesus would display patience on a sinner like him, the worst, because, you know, you don't, you know, you probably don't look at someone else and say that they're the worst of all sinners. I've never looked at anyone and said that, but I have looked to myself and said, I'm the worst. I think that's what we do. We, we know our own thoughts, and, and uh, we know who we are, and we, we think that we're the worst of all. And that's how Paul felt when he was talking to Timothy here. But Jesus is patient, and for those who believe in him, they receive eternal life. Romans chapter 8, this is the, right after the, there's no condemnation. Paul says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. It might feel like, like, like we're losing. It might feel like sin is winning this battle, but it is not. See, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead it says, will give life to your mortal bodies. That's the body that's fighting this battle right now. The Spirit gives us life. And as we go into communion, I want to finish with one, one more passage. I save these for the end because I want you to leave with these. But in 1 Corinthians 11, I'm not going to read the, the passage that we normally read that says to take the, the bread representing the body and the juice representing the blood of Jesus uh, we usually read that, that passage, and Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So we remember the sacrifice he made for us. Well, last week, I was very clear that we don't judge other people. But we do judge ourselves. See, right after, right after uh, uh, that passage of remembering Jesus, then it says this. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined 
so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. When I read that passage, and I see that Paul tells us to evaluate ourselves, to, uh, to, to examine ourselves before we take communion, what does that look like? Obviously, he felt like he was the worst sinner in the world, but I think he gave us the model in our scripture today. First, be honest. I don't want to go to that table and say I'm taking this communion because I'm a member or because, uh, because I'm a Christian and I've, I've earned my right to be here. No, I, I go to that table and, and be honest and say I'm a sinner and I need, I need Jesus and I need to remember what he's done for me every single week. That's the honesty. And then Paul went on and he was, he was recognizing uh, who he was and his need for a Savior. It was the humility. He says, who can save me from my sins? I don't always know if I just think about my sins, but when I go to the table, it's easy to remember who would save me from my sins. A loving God who sent Jesus to take our place on the cross and to, uh, to, uh, to save us from, from the penalty of hell, from eternal punishment, but to give us also the gift of life to be with him. And that's where we get to the, the, third, uh, uh, the third idea of evaluating ourselves. We recognize our dependence. I would not do with this on my own. I could not. I could not save myself. But in his love, he sent Jesus for us to save us. So we accept that, and then we fight. We fight for the good of those around us. We fight for ourselves, and we fight to honor God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us every word of, of, the, of, uh, of the Bible. Uh, the story beginning of you giving us life, and then we messed it up, and then you gave us uh, gave us hope through Jesus. So, Father, I pray that as we continue to read through, uh, that that uh, you would speak to us uh, in your Word through the Spirit, uh, that you would guide us and and remind us of the hope uh, that we have. I pray that if anyone's carrying a, a lot of guilt right now. Uh, that they would recognize that you died to take that away from us, that we don't fight to save ourselves, we don't fight to make things right for the past, but we fight because you've made things right, and we trust you now as we can trust you in eternity. We thank you so much for your love and for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen.